This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South Soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouse of South podcast brought to you by Dirty South Soccer, not in the palatial 68 of the fan studios. I think we can, you know, put a moratorium on, on the 68 of the fan studios. I don't yeah, know I don't think time. you need to say that. I don't, think, um, I don't yeah, know when the I next time. I just, know. I'm so used to saying it that I don't know, uh, and I'm not sure when the <laughs> next time we'll actually be in the studio is, so I think we can put a pause on that one. But I'm Eric Quintana, Josh Bagrianski, Sam Franco in my screen, in your ears. Uh, and gentlemen, we've got a 2-1 loss against Inter-Miami last night's Atlanta United uh, struggling for much of that game. A lot of stuff going against Atlanta United. But Josh, you specifically, it seemed like took uh, took great offense with the not offense. That's probably a better way of phrasing it. But you didn't like the way that game played out for Atlanta United. You didn't like the way they played. You thought it was at least from what I could see. Uh, maybe it's a maybe I'm, I'm I'm reading into it wrong. But it just felt like you didn't like the way that Atlanta, Atlanta United played last night. Yeah, definitely not a fan. And uh, from the looks of this is the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast. And from the looks of you two, it doesn't look like you're a fans either. You two look absolutely terrible this morning. Have we ever – put, put a shirt on, Josh, all right? Hey, Shut look, up and put a shirt on, okay? Hey, yeah, you can just sense the jealousness in, in Sam's voice as he looks at these traps. Anyways, I was not a fan of the game. And I don't know how you guys feel, but um, – you know, the attack is still, I mean, if you look at it just a bird's eye view, I think the attack is struggling the same way it always has been, but you're starting to see Atlanta United look a lot more open than they have been starting to concede a lot more opportunities going, the, excuse me, going the other way. Um, and that's a real problem. And, and I started to see some things specifically with the organization last night where you can see Steven Glass has tried to make some tweaks uh, to the setup to try to help that attack a little bit. And I think the tweaks he made in particular last, uh, last night uh, against Miami were, were, were quite naive, uh, trying to play Barco through the middle uh, and then uh, counteract that by playing two more quote-unquote defensive-minded midfielders behind him uh, to provide cover. One of those players was Emerson Hindman, who was never played in that position before. And it's, so it's no coincidence that we're looking back on that match wondering where was our uh, midfield defensively and in particular – what was Emerson Hindman doing? And I think there were a few of those situations where he put guys where they just weren't set up to succeed. And so you saw similar results with the attack. And you saw for the first time, I think, all year long, a team that was really, really open at the back for 90 minutes. So to me, that was a really bad sign, not to mention the poor body language coming back in uh, at the end of the first half and second half. So that match worried me a lot in terms of uh, how this team projects for the rest of the season. And also if Steven Glass, and this is like you mentioned on the last edition, Eric, if Steven Glass is really up to managing a team at, at MLS level, because so far a lot of the moves he's made have been very, very Atlanta United 2-ish uh, in terms of, substitutions that seem predetermined or being a little naive with the shape, you know, it, at MLS, you've got to get results and he doesn't, it, his managing has not been results obsessed so far by any means. I mean, aren't things kind of looking like the way they've been looking in a sense, like with Frank DeBoer, you know, you mentioned there, Josh, in terms of playing people out of position, um, maybe taking some risks or chances you shouldn't. I mean, it's almost like, and I'll say this, Stephen Glass, especially last night, proved to me that he's not the man for this job, not like 
yeah. any of us thought he was the man for this job anyway. But it just seems like, yeah, that he's he's bitten off a little more than than he can chew here in terms of uh, the organization, in terms of the attack uh, for this team, and and the the opening up as you mentioned. Um, where you're relying on a guy like Emerson Hyman to play a little bit more of a defensive role um, where you have Barco in the middle, but of course he's not going to really be tracking back all that much. His job is to, to stir the drink up in the attack. So you had Remedi and you had Hyman sort of sitting in behind and, and, and we've seen already with Frank DeBoer, we've seen already that the, and just kind of with this team this year, that that's not the answer. You know, you need more tried and true sort of verified number sixes, if you will, guys that can actually play that defensive midfield position well. And I think, you know, just, just in terms of last night's game, it's, it was really – it was a tale of two halves because they did look a lot better in the first half. The game was a lot more, you know, kind of back and forth there in the first half. But then, yeah, the second half, the, the, as Josh mentioned, even going into the locker room, the body language wasn't great going into the, the halftime. And then they come out, and it was even more flat. I mean, they looked pretty abysmal there in the second half. And, and, and overall, though, the performance was kind of ass, not just ass in terms of the way they played, <laughs> but ass in terms of the only goal they scored was from Eric Rometty's ass. And I'll yeah. stop saying that word now. But the, the point being <laughs> that, like, nice it was an nice. incredibly, like, crappy goal uh, to, to, to be scored. It, it was nice sort of in the buildup, but then Rometty got lucky that the ball just kind of sat there perfectly for him to, to tap it in. But overall, this is a team that still doesn't have an identity. They didn't really have one under Frank DeBoer because the players didn't want to sort of play that way. And now Stephen Glass has come in and hasn't really been able to figure out, not that we thought he would, but he hasn't really been able to figure out the best way forward. For I this. just, I just wish he'd be a little more pragmatic. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, I don't remember Frank DeBoer. I mean, he, he had to go. I did not think he was a good manager for the side, but I don't remember him making a mistake as simple as this, where he decides to play a four, two, three, one with two defensive mids and plays a player in Heinemann. He was simply not in that position. I think you've seen Steven glass, try to kind of force some square pegs into some into some round holes, whether it be moving Gallagher into the lineup and playing him on the left, which I still don't understand uh, why he suddenly gets into the first 11, uh, has 13 touches in 74 minutes, so he's totally non-existent. Um, that raises a great question. Not, not to, to jump over you here, but, but, but it, it's a very interesting thing for me to determine. Who was this team built for? Because it wasn't built for Frank DeBoer and what he wanted to do. It's not built for Stephen Glass and what he wants to do. Tata Martino's been gone. Who was this team built for? And this is where I think you get into a little bit of a dilemma with the sort of technical director and coach model, as opposed to having a manager that has more of a say in the, the building of the team. Because this team, I don't know who they were built for in terms of a manager. And, and so Darren Eels and, and Carlos Bocanegra, when, they, when they're deciding who this next manager is going to be, they're going to have to hire someone that wants to play with this roster because right now it's not talented enough and they don't have enough players to play the positions that they've at least tried to play stylistically. So I don't know who this roster as currently constructed was built for because it wasn't built for Frank DeBoer. It's not built for Stephen Glass. Well, let's, let's, I feel like it's a little unfair to kind of criticize Stephen Glass because, again, he, he, he did not ask to be put in the position that he, he's in now. Um, he's the interim manager. He's not a guy that was, I think he even knows. I think I'm sure Atlanta United has told him that you're not the guy for the future. This is not a long-term position for you. This is not a, the next step for you. You're just the, the filling guy for now, not in a disrespectful way, but 
you know, Stephen Glass is who he is for Atlanta United at this point. Um, I think that everyone understands that he's he's just he's just the filler right now. Um, I actually yeah, I, but may, maybe go ahead. It bothers me that if you are the filler, you shouldn't be trying Emerson Hindman at defensive midfield or throwing John Gallagher in at left wing as if you're, I mean, that that's the opposite of what Stephen Glass should be trying to do. He should just trying to be pragmatic and put the pieces where they fit. So if you want to put Barco as your highest center mid, you've got to play two defensive mids behind him. And I know that Mo Adams hasn't been great or Jeff, you know, but that's, that's how it works. You don't, and then to move, put John Gallagher in the lineup who has not played at MLS level at all to move Barco out of that position into the middle, that is not pragmatic. That is not something an interim manager should be doing. He should just be going out there, putting the team in a 4-3-3, and putting them in a shape that makes pragmatic uh, and functional sense. And he didn't. I mean, that's the thing. Is he just throwing darts right now? Like, is he just like, looking at the board? Look, He's like, oh, let's try this. Let's look, try if that. You're the, if you're the long-term manager, I get it. Throw those darts. See what works for next season. But Emerson Hyman is not going to be a six next season or the year after or the year after that. And I don't think John Gallagher is an MLS quality starting left winger. So what are you doing making these moves? If you are just a placeholder, why are you going out and, and, and doing these experiments that you know aren't going to play out for the future? And the next so manager then what's his job? What's well, his out, job right out, now out. just to go out there and try to get wins? We, did, we didn't know George Bellow was an MLS quality a player from the get-go. We didn't know Miles Robinson was an MLS sure. quality player from the get-go. So it is nice to see these younger guys, these Atlanta United 2 guys. But Bellow uh, has not played at striker. Or sure, right I'm not – and yeah, I'm not – but I, look, I was, I was rather encouraged by the first half. I, I mean, I'm, it may have been more of a product of Miami playing, letting it, the play be a little more wide open than I think they may, may have wanted it to be. But, I mean, you saw an Atlanta United that maybe didn't get as many shots on target as, as maybe they wanted to in that first half but they did look more attacking than we've seen in a, in a while they did get the ball out wide they did find open spaces they did find way to to take on defenders Gallagher I thought was at least in my opinion for the spot that he was put in did fine it's not like he 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 you know he he choked it away completely or anything like that I, he didn't I, do anything. he didn't I was, do anything wrong yeah, I mean, I, I thought that Barco was was put in positions where he could he could take on defenders, where he could go at uh, you know a back line. We could be a little more dangerous than he has been in the past. Um, you know, Jurgen Dam gets the first start we for Atlanta United, so I, I I'd like to see more minutes out of him. I'd like to see what he's capable of kind of producing. He gets, I think, he gets the assist for the Remedy goal. I'm not 100 percent sure how that lines up, but no, that's know, Remedi's we'll, ass. He gets we'll, the assist. We'll give him we'll give him credit for the effort at least on the podcast. Um, I mean, I agree with you guys on Heinemann. It, it seemed like he was not necessarily lost, but didn't know how to – it looked like he hadn't played the position before, or at least in a long time. Um, he was out of position on on, uh, on the first goal. Was it the first goal? He was out of – You're about the one where there was a wide-open player in the sixth because yeah, that it's was off the, the second goal. Off the, off the, off, well, yeah, I know both goals, but off the, off the corner, that was the first goal, right? The corner, he's yeah, the wrong side of, I believe, yeah. Pizarro, who's then able yeah. to start the counter. I think Dan so Gargan referred all, to schoolboy defending. Yeah, we all saw that play, and we all thought, oh, man, that, that is a rough look for Heinemann, and, and it didn't really get better after that because, again, he's the one that is caught out of position. He's the one that looks like he's, you know, he's not he's never going to catch Bizarro right there, but um, he's the one that, that looks like he's kind of given up on the play, and I almost tweeted that out, and I'm like, wait, what did I expect from Heinemann in that situation? I, I mean, I, he, he's not a player that's that's 
been asked to do that very often in that situation. But otherwise, I, I love the general feel of the first half. I know it was a little crazy. I know it was a little back and forth. I think that, you know, missing the, well, missing the two PKs and then getting the, the, you know, the rebound goal called back was kind of a bummer. I think you could see it in, in Barco's face when he, uh, um, when he walked off the field for halftime. I, you know, the body language wasn't, wasn't awesome. Um, and I think the way the first half ended had a lot to do with how the second yeah. half played out. I, I just, I was encouraged by, I guess, the ideas or, or, or the attempt to get more, be more attacking. Now, again, that could very well be a product of Miami just going, you know what, we're just going to play this thing wide open or a lot more wide open than we have in the past, uh, which allowed Atlanta United to get the space that they were looking for. But, you know, you saw another good performance out of George Bella. You saw good stuff out of Miles Robinson. Um, I, I, I got into, and this is something I want to talk with you guys, the, the back line specifically. I don't think it's, I don't think last night was a product of the back line being um, bad. The back line was awesome last night. I agree. I, but that's, that, those are some of the first texts I got from friends is, you know, maybe, you know, this bat, you know, defensively we suck. And I was like, I don't know that it was defensively we suck. Mm-hmm. I think it's the midfield not knowing exactly what its assignments were in certain situations that led to, uh, you know, the back line looking like it was at fault for things it wasn't at fault for, uh, which, which, you know, cause I, I never questioned the back line for Atlanta United, not very often this season or any, any, in any season for that matter. Um, it's always been a product of the midfield allowing things to happen that shouldn't happen directly at a back line or, or allowing players attacking players. Notice how those, those things don't really occur uh, for Atlanta United. You don't see the midfield for a lot of the teams that we played the back line for a lot of the teams that we played, you never see Atlanta United going right at, you know, a back line. You always see them having to transition through a midfield first and op- opposing midfield first. And that doesn't really happen for Atlanta United or in Atlanta United's favor. So I think that maybe a Lorenowitz is probably better suited to start that game than a Hyman, but I, I don't know about the load, the load management. I, I don't know that. That's the issue. Is he? Because if, if he can't play like a, you know, a full game or even like 75 minutes, then he's probably not better suited. To play yeah, but that. you know, you've also got Mo Adams or Hosetto would be a better option there. I mean, Hyman is the last person that you would put in that position and he's not with fresh legs. You had rotated Hosetto out in midweek uh, or excuse me over the weekend. So, Again, don't understand that that decision. And I, and I want to go back to what you talked about the first half, Eric. I think, you know, there was a lot of people saying, yeah, it was more attacking, but really it was just more open. I mean, really, yeah. I don't, I don't, Agreed. I didn't see a huge difference in the way Atlanta United attack other than that Miami sat off and it allowed, allowed a lot of possession. But if you go through that half, Atlanta United's only two chances are a penalty that comes from, uh, Nicholas Fagal deciding to throw an elbow to John Gallagher in his own box and Eric Rometty from his butt. So I, to I me, think I don't see much difference other than the fact that Miami is sitting back and conceding those spaces. But were you able to create when you got in the last third? No. Who had more chances in that half? Miami on the break. What happened in the last five to 10 minutes? You miss a penalty, heads go down, players realize this system isn't working. We're getting countered on the other end. We're not creating chances. And then the second half, you see a continuation of that. So I thought the first half, much more open, much more exciting, but not the type of – you don't, when Atlanta says we want to play attacking, they don't mean we're going to be wide open going the other way. It means I, we're going to attack and we're actually going to create chances. I think what I liked, what I like to see – in that first half specifically was the transition from the midfield into the attacking third, which seemed almost non-existent before. And at least in this match you had, and maybe again, it could very well be a product that I, I would say it's, it's, it's partially at least a product of 
Inter Miami deciding that they were going to play a little more uh, a little more open. But you didn't see this this transition from the midfield into the attacking third very often, or or as well as it looked. I'll say um, last night you, you saw where it, it it sputtered every time it got to around midfield, and then it was yeah. a, a a question of can they you know unlock this Rubik's cube. Um, of, of this back line and midfield of the opposition to, to try to get into the final third. And, and that seemed to be a struggle for Atlanta United. So in that sense, you, you saw how often they got wide to Gallagher and, 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 uh, and you're going to damn and um, how often Barco was able to kind of transition from midfield into, into the attacking third. Um, I, the, the one, the biggest criticism I have is that it's like, once they got there, they didn't quite know what to do because they hadn't been there in so long. And it was a lot of just waiting to see what Barco would do. Um, errant crosses that really didn't go to anyone or, or that were, were misplayed. And, and the thing that, um, that bothered me the most is that whenever Barco was in a position to where he, he had the ball, he, 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 he was relative, he was somewhere outside of, of the 18. No one else was moving. No one else was making a run for him. No one else was cr- helping create or, or make Barco a more dangerous player. No one was, uh, no one seemed to be, trying to be that outlet for him it was just kind of like well let's wait and see what barco does yeah, and totally more agree. more often than not what happened what what happened is that barco was put in a position where he had no one else so he's literally looking to draw that foul because he, yeah. he's not going to get a shot off and he's looking to draw that foul which i don't mind him doing that but to do it every single time is not a recipe for success i think you and- saw that last night um, that that was the one criticism is that this this team doesn't like it, it just doesn't kubo torres should know how to make a run. I, I assume he does. He should know how to make a run when Bargo's in a position like that. You should see the same thing from Jurgen Dam. From, uh, I, I don't necessarily expect it from Gallagher, but it's something you could hope from someone in that position, in the position he was in last night, someone that's making those, um, those off-the-ball runs to, to help create space for Barco, to help create uh, movement on that back line between the, between the defenders uh, and maybe open up some space at the very least for a shot for Barco because he didn't even have that. It was just yeah. kind of him dribbling around, waiting for him to get fouled, and and you know there we were on free kicks. And I I I, I can't get over the fact that I I still believe that we're the most uh, we're the least dangerous teams on set pieces in the league right now, and I think we yeah. have been for a long well, time. Well, that's another reason that you could just foul Barco is you know you're not going to suffer any repercussions from it. I think you know to to your first point, Eric. The reason I think one of the re- that you're able to open things up uh, and transition from the midfield to final third was because Stephen Glass put Barco in that center mid position. Then he's able to receive the ball in the middle and then he can make a right as opposed to being slightly more isolated, maybe on the left wing. Um, so I do think, you know, that, that part of it maybe worked. Obviously you'd like a little more balanced covering for Barco as we discussed earlier, but then when he makes that run forward, as you say, Eric, I mean, there's not a lot of movement off the ball and it's very easy to defend that. I mean, there's a reason Barco is getting fouled over and over and over again is because he's just running, <laughs> running through the the pitch with the ball and without options. And he's either going to lose it uh, or we, or he's going to get fouled at some point. And, and it's, it's, it's frustrating when you see, and of course you've got a moron refereeing the match last night. <laughs> yeah, I don't often, I don't often go blame the rest. Didn't last figure night, out, you know, <laughs> last last idiot. night was a special. What exception. an idiot! <laughs> I mean, not figure that. Can these guys not figure out that teams are just coming out to foul Barco? It's very obvious, right? Anyways, I digress. But I mean, the, you're the, you're getting mad at a refereeing association that's run by a guy who allowed a karate kick in the World Cup final. Your so, favorite about Howard uh, Webb? Yeah, I, I, th- I think you need to work. You know, not necessarily put too much 
uh, strain on yourself and worrying. I know. About no, them. you're right. You're right. But I will I, say I, this: like, my LGP should have at least had one yellow card much earlier than he did, and and at the very least, I say that every game though. He should have had but, three in the first half. Yeah, it changes the way he defends, and he can't go out. Yeah. It, it just it allows for a little more open openness between him and whoever he's defending, and that that can change the dynamic of a moment, and it could lead to an opportunity, it could lead to a chance, it could lead to a goal. But when you deny that, when you deny when when you don't when you don't card someone for for the stupid stuff that LGP does at times, um, you know you allow for that play to kind of continue, and and at, that's at the disadvantage of, of of Atlanta United. Here's my biggest issue with with what happened last night, like like overall in terms of Atlanta United's performance, because I do agree with you guys, like when you're talking about the back line and like overall, like in a vacuum, Atlanta United's back line has been fine, but the way they were playing last night to get caught out twice on the counterattack. And the first one, probably a little more excusable than the second one, because in the second one, you're leaving a guy who already scored a goal in the game unmarked in the 18. Like you cannot do that. That is like training ground from like what Josh is, is teaching to his kids kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like at that level, you have to, you have to know like, Hey, there's this guy standing almost at the penalty spot wide open in the middle of the 18, and he does a really great job once he gets that ball to, like, you know, score that in that tight space. But to allow someone to, to sit like that, I don't care if you're Steven Clark. I don't care if you're Pep Guardiola. Like, like your teams cannot do sure. that. And I think that, that just that, that breakdown from a, you know, like an elementary perspective in terms of soccer, like you don't leave guys unmarked in the 18, especially ones that have already scored in the game. Like, that was what really ticked me off. And I, and I, I don't know, like, who to necessarily blame there. Because, like, I'm trying to like, think about, like, whose fault is that? Like, so I it think, can't be Stephen Glass, is it? No, I, I don't. Well, I mean, to, maybe you can say it. I mean, of course not. If you leave a player unmarked in the box, you can never blame the manager. But, you know, again, that goal to me, if you break it down, I think a lot of it was, again, on the midfield where Jurgen Dam doesn't get back down his side to allow that attack to start. And then if you look at the play, Lewis Morgan kind of trails the play comes into the box late so the back four already already kind of marked up with with other players and then emerson Heinemann is should have seen that right he's the center mid he's coming back and he runs to pissarro on the left side of the box and leaves morgan completely unmarked uh basically at the top of the 18 so again you see emerson Heinemann having to make a quick decision defensively something he's not used to doing he makes the wrong one and then the ball ends up in the back of the net so i look at that play and I actually blame – I look at the midfield more for that one. And for a lot of the counters, I look for the midfield. I would say this, though, particularly with Miles Robinson, if we, uh, if we talk about the back line, starting to see some individual errors from him over the last two matches that he's not that accustomed to with him. There's that early chance for Miami where, again, you needed more midfield cover, but where that counter where the ball bounces over his head where he doesn't read the play right and they get in behind. So I, I do think if you break down that back four, while I'd push back a little bit on that second goal and say it's on the midfield, you are starting to see some individual errors uh, from those players in the back. And, and, and obviously with the amount that, of space being conceded on the counter, those guys need to be almost perfect. And if they're not, I could see Atlanta United having some really, really ugly results down the line when they play better attacking side. Miami were constantly 
uh, into dangerous areas in the counter. And I think he were just lucked out that they didn't have a ton of quality uh, in those spots other than Rodolfo Pissarro, because a better team is going to punish you far more than Orlando and Miami did these last two matches. I, I feel like Miles Robinson, maybe, maybe it's in his head. Obviously we don't know, but maybe it's in his head that he, he knows he's kind of like the, the last, the last resort. Last a lot on him. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I'm, not, I'm he, not too worried about him. Yeah, me neither. But it, it almost feels like he, he's trying to do too much in those moments and, and hoping that uh, he can kind of bail out his team. And in those moments, it's, it's you know, when you put a lot of pressure on one player, especially a, a defender like that in, in that situation, you know, things like that can happen uh, where he, he tries to do too much in those moments. And that may be just part of the reason that in the last few matches, he's had a couple of moments where, where he doesn't look at his best, but sure. I, yeah, overall I'm with you. I'm not really worried, but I mean, I, mean, I, I good. How many times last night did we see Robinson and walks forced to sprint back to cover a counter? That surely yeah. happened a few times a game. It yeah. happened over and over and over again. And like you say, well, Eric, why are they so far up then? Why are they pressing so far up in the first place? If they know they're going to get hit on the counter attack multiple times a game, based on the style that they went into that. Yeah. Game right. I mean, and I think when you come out to attack and you don't really provide cover for those guys in the midfield, that's a lot of what can happen. Um, That's what I'm talking about with Steven Glass, by the way, the rudimentary tactics. Like these are things that, of course, he's not the right man for the job because you know as a manager going into this game, like, yeah, if I push my defenders further up the field, we're going to get caught out, especially against a team like Inner Miami that's still relatively new at this and playing in this league. Of course they're going to try to hit you on the counter. Well, I mean, you're not going to roll the red carpet out for them. And if you're going to get caught out, don't play high minute six. You know, if you're going to get caught out, don't play high minute six. Sorry. But let's be real, though. It's just – it was one goal – it was one goal on a counter. Off of off of a counter on a, off of a corner. It's not like that's that's the yeah. Most but the other goal of. was off a counter. Yeah, the other goal was also off a counter. Exactly. Right, but totally I would right about, I would, sep- totally I would right. separate I would separate the one off the corner because that I mean that that happens. That that's that's something that just happens as part of the game. However, uh, yeah, because you have your you bigger defenders Heinemann, up in the box trying to sure. score. Of course, I get that. No, and I say the same. Yeah, but however, you see Heinemann showing a lack of defensive instincts True. there. Where if that's yep. Eric Rometty perhaps back or Zephyr Armitz back, they're making that foul right away and breaking that attack up. And and Heinemann's the wrong shoulder of Sorrow, and he's able to start it. So you're I think right. that was you, I think that was my 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 hope for that moment is that is that Heinemann would do enough to get back to just kind of pull on the shirt, disrupt the the momentum of that of that of the of the play right there and not give up such an easy, easy goal, you know, considering that they, you know, whatever, you just got countered on, on a corner um, that didn't happen. And, and I, I agree with you guys. I think that Lorenowitz, a, a Remedi in that situation does a better job. Um, I think that you saw what you, what you wanted to see out of, out of Heinemann, you saw out of Lorenowitz whenever Lorenowitz came in, but at that point it was just kind of too late and, and everyone had to kind of run out of momentum and, and run out of, run out of gas. I want to bring, bring that up too. Cause I don't understand what Steven glass was doing, right? He finished the match with a more pragmatic setup than when he started it. He brought Jeff Lorenowitz in to play as like a proper six and sit behind the center backs. We saw the ball just being recycled around the back four in the last five minutes where suddenly Bello and Lennon were playing much deeper. He brings Hosseto into the match and suddenly you have a more settled midfield when you need the match to be more open when you're chasing the game. When you had started the match at nil-nil with the match more open, right, playing that midfield we discussed, when you needed it more settled. So I just didn't understand the rationale from Stephen Glass to start the game making it super open, knowing it would be super open with that midfield you play. And then when you're trailing, you decide to shore things up with Jeff Lerowitz, Tiger fullbacks to come back and switch to three more out-and-out center mids. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
the changes were made as if he had the lead and was not trailing in the game. Like, you're totally right. Like, the way that he set that up was like, okay, yeah, we're just going to try to ease this game out here in the last 10 or 15 minutes, even though we're behind a goal. So, it was very strange. I totally agree with you there. It was very yeah. yeah, I think as a fan of Atlanta United right now, just like trying to watch this team, and I don't know how much of this has to do with COVID and has to do with the 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 sort of uh, you know the break in the season and the delays and everything. But I, th- I don't think as a fan of this team, I've ever felt less connected to it, if that makes sense. Because yeah, you know, players are going, um, they're bringing in new players and just kind of throwing them in there. Like we haven't had a chance to really sort of connect with any of these guys and look that's a fan thing it doesn't really matter but I will say that like as as, as a fan of the team and as, as wanting to enjoy watching these games it's really tough right now this might be the the toughest spell being an Atlanta United fan just because of a number of different reasons you know Pitsy Martinez ultimately not working out there's rumors about Barco getting sold Joseph Martinez is hurt you're integrating new guys into the squad and Jurgen Dom, Kubo Torres. No manager. Um, you know, and, no and, and you don't manager. have a manager. I mean, it is just really bizarre almost kind of watching these games and sort of being like, not necessarily who the players are because we know. We research, you know, all that. We, we know who these guys are now. But just as a team, like, it's like, who am I watching? It's really hard because there's no identity. And it's just tough right now. And, and I know that there's a lot of other fans in the league um, because Atlanta United hasn't really ever gone through this before. So, you know, Red Bull fans – you know, uh, Orlando fan, whoever, they're probably like, yeah, shut up. You know, like, you know, you, you're spoiled, which which is what Frank DeBoer said, which was true. And I think right now, as an Atlanta United fan, you're finally starting to realize, damn, maybe we were kind of spoiled because, honestly, this sucks. Like, watching this team right now, it, it, it sucks. Like, last night's game was better than the games that we have watched in recent, you know, weeks just because it was more open in the first half, but – it was tough to watch that second half and watch how toothless they came out. And I think it's super interesting, right? Because I feel like one of one of the reasons that it sucks is because, you know, we've talked a lot about identity and things like that. I think you're trying to – and a lot of people this, but I really think the team is trying to maintain its attacking identity at a time when the more pragmatic way is to maybe go to that 5-3-2 that we saw under Tata Martino in 2018 and play a little more withdrawn. Stephen Glass, we're going to play attacking football. We're going to play attacking football. I'm going to play Emerson Hyndman and Ezekiel Barco together in the middle. I'm going to try John Gallagher on the left. You know, we're going to play a single six every, you know, a lot of the times, you know, so like, I feel like Steve and the team is going forward, right? They're still trying to attack. We're still seeing Bellow and Wen in advanced positions and the midfield being extraordinarily aggressive, but you're not doing anything. And, and, and I think that's what's frustrating about this is you're seeing a team trying to hold on to this identity that just isn't going to work right now between the personnel holes that you mentioned, Sam, and also not having a full-time manager to implement a system. So that's kind of what I'm seeing right now is we're in this weird, like, transition, right? And the team, I don't think they're, like, are you going to go out and just insist you play a certain way because that's your quote-unquote identity? Or are you going to realize maybe we need this – tweak things a little bit and change this into a little bit more of a pragmatic setup because you just ain't going to score goals without a Joseph Martinez Martinez at this point. The club has always seemed to have a plan. And right now, just watching from the outside, it seems as unorganized as we've ever seen just Atlanta United as an entity be from, from the way they want to play to who they're going to bring in to basically pigeonholing yourself and saying, we're going to bring in an attacking DP this window. It's like, it just seems like that 
that as a fan, like your trust or whatever in the in the front office right now and in the team in general is probably as low as it's ever been. And, and that, that's just, I think, a reaction to just how the season has gone. That doesn't mean that, you know, the people that are in place aren't the right people for the job because obviously Darren Eels exactly. and Carlos Bocanegra have done a phenomenal job building a squad. I think it's just right now it's, it's tough. And it's like you got to weather the storm a little bit. I, well, look, you hit so you hit so hard the first two years that it's okay to have a miss in in year three and and sort of and you admit in year four that you missed Agreed. on 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 the coach and and some of the players. Um, but look, you don't have the connection from some of the you don't have the connection to the team because a lot there was so much success early on. We no one knew who Gressel what Gressel was going to be until he started knocking in assists and and we saw the hustle out of him and he started making the the, the plays that we wanted to see out of a guy in his position. Same thing with uh, Miguel Almiron. I think we expected more from him and we got ex- probably more than we expected. Even Joseph Martinez the same way. We didn't really know what we had in Joseph Martinez until he started playing. You could say that across the board that all these players started to step up and play and now you don't have that. You don't have these players that are that are stepping you have Barco who is, is at least last night was the first time I saw him really go at at people and really try to take the game on his shoulders uh, yeah that's why he's the most valid player in MLS <laughs> I'm just gonna rebuke myself I know uh <laughs> but you well, know you thing, Tata Martino is the reason why by the by the way that this club like you you're, you're talking about it we didn't know Joseph Martinez would do this we didn't know all these players they had such a great organizer as a manager a guy that knew how to get the best out of his players and a guy that you knew quite frankly how to run a locker room like especially yeah. with the players that he had and it was just such a blessing to have all of that work out so well in the first few seasons and then he leaves and they haven't had anyone that's had that sort of presence that 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 godfather presence, that that aura that Tata Martino walked around with at Atlanta United. I mean, you know, it's like that guy was like, oh, it's Tata. Like nobody did that with Frank DeBoer. Nobody's doing that with Stephen Glass. Like you don't have that that figurehead that sort of when there are choppy waters, the guy that's going to calm everyone down. They and haven't I, had that, and I they need it, that badly. It kind of goes to what Eric was saying, right, where you mention all of those players. And, and we're at this point where it's like, did those guys come because our front office unearthed all these gems, or did they really just want to come play for Tata Martino? And another thing that Eric mentioned was, you know, specifically with those players, and then you kind of uh, connected to what you were saying, Sam, about uh, not feeling a real connection to the team. All those guys that Eric mentioned were players, not just attacking, but you know, Miguel Amiron is a player with a lot of personality and swagger. And, and, you know, that's the type of player as a fan that you really, really like to watch. And now you're kind of wondering, did we have these all these kind of players that had that – they didn't all play the same, but they had that kind of way of seeing the game and playing. Was that because of the way Tata Martino was, first of all, getting those guys to come and then also managing and putting them in a position where they could express themselves? Or was that more about the front office – finding these specific personnel types to fit. I mean, it's kind of looking right now, it had a little bit more to do with Tata, which makes your next managerial hire all the more important. We're, we're reminiscing hard on the, uh, on, the, on the glory days of Atlanta United. But what did you guys think that's of That's what you the... do right now, though. That's what you do when your team is in these kind of doldrums and you want to go back to that. And right now, it just doesn't seem like that's on the horizon. Here's my thing. It's never going back to that. It's going to look differently. It's going to look, it's going to look, uh, it's never going to be that attacking ever again. I think, I think we're, we're kidding ourselves if we're going to get to a point where we're that. I don't attacking. know. I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, you want MLS cut paying a, a five, three, two. I 
think it has much more to do with the personality of your attacking players. And you still have you Joseph want, Martinez. Yeah. You want an MLS cup playing. You won one specific game playing that way. I get that. But the well, way playoffs you, was five, three, every, two. everything, everything. Sure. You want you, fine. You won three games or whatever it was. Uh, playing that Three way, but games, leading we... up the first two seasons, the token of Atlanta United was yeah. fly by the seat of your pants almost. Press, um, yeah. So it, it's it's you know that's what that's what the fans fell in love with, and then in the pragmatic moments, Tata Martino knew better and 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 knew how to you know play in a playoff situation. Uh, but you, you know, unless unless you unless you bring back Miggy, unless you bring you know whatever all those all the players that that yeah do that almost do almost, that almost. <laughs> perfectly almost fit perfectly into it look it was a a magical season magical two seasons really because somehow the front office is able to find all these players that just fit without knowing that they were going to fit and when it all worked out it was fantastic um but then you had a shift in 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 how the team was going to play not just because of the hiring of frank DeBoer, but you lost miguel Midon that didn't allow you to do the same things you did in 2017 2018 and you know so on and so forth um you just don't have that now. I, I am curious to what you guys thought about the, the uh, Barco Kubo drama before the PK. Because if you look at Kubo's stats, he, it would, he, it would, you would think that he would be the better PK t- taker. I think That's that, what I was thinking too. I think Barco in that moment, considering he, he had kind of put the game on his shoulders, wanted that responsibility, which I kind of like out of a, of a guy like Barco, especially as young as he is. Um, I, I'm not going to fault him for, for wanting to be in that position. Um, and I don't really, I, I thought they were, the, the PKs were fine. I didn't really have a problem with the PKs. I, I, I wonder what this does for the next time this, this opportunity kind of presents itself, whether Barco has the, the, the mental fortitude to, to, to still be the guy, the first up to take that PK, or if he, you know, passes that on to Kubo. Yeah, I think he'll pass here's, it on. Here's the problem with overconfidence though. And I think, I don't, well, I don't know if it's overconfidence. But I do like Barco stepping up and wanting to do that there. Unfortunately, there is a drawback, and it's exactly what happened. If you go up there, you know, and and say you're going to do it and you miss twice, that's going to get in your head. Like, just just ask anybody who's been a fan of the English national team over the years and their drama with penalty takers. Like, it gets in your head after a while. And Barco's like, no, I got this. I'm going to step up. This is the first one. Gets another chance. Misses the second one. So Crazy, right? now, now you have an issue going forward with who takes these. And that is going to, you know, because Torres or yeah, Kubo didn't take it last night, you know, he's going to want to do it going forward. I don't know if Barco is still going to want to do it or if he's going to doubt himself and maybe not do it. So now you've created and, – and, and I will say the other way, like if this is Joseph Martinez stepping up, and if Joseph Martinez is here, there's no issue. We know who's taking the penalties. But if a guy like that steps up and says, I'm taking this, and, and he has that confidence to know whether he misses it or, or doesn't miss it, he's going to step up next time and probably drain it. We don't know that with Barco now. It, it, it's, it's a head thing, especially with a young player like that. Is this going to be something now? Because he was like, no, I got this, and then overconfident to do it again. Is this something that's going to stick with him now? And now Atlanta United has an issue of, you know, who is their penalty taker going yeah, forward? And I don't even know if I remember. I mean, I know we all know that Barco made that uh, penalty in Copa Sudamericana final before he came over to Atlanta, but I don't remember him taking a single penalty. I mean, he maybe won from the spot for Atlanta United. So, I mean, he probably 
in some ways pulls rank there, having been with the club. I mean, even though he's way younger than Kubo Torres, but he's been here much longer. But a lot of things worried me about that situation. First of all, you had Dom in there arguing about it as well. And it didn't seem, you know, there's supposed to be a guy who basically is is your penalty taker. And then if he doesn't want to take it, he can hand it to someone else or someone else can go request the penalty from him. That didn't really seem to be the case there. You had just a bunch of guys arguing over it. And then I was, you know, this is kind of, this may seem a little juvenile, but I was a little worried the first pen when Barco has it saved and Kubo scores. And instead of running over into him and saying, oh, thank you, you know, for saving my ass. I saw the same thing. Sulks, he sulks and <laughs> walks the back same thing. the field. And then he takes the next one and misses. So like, and then right after that, you start to see, as I mentioned, that really bad body language kind of show up towards the end of the first half. And then that carried into the second half. So not just the missed penalties, but the way that moment was handled by Atlanta United, I think was really emblematic of the lack of organization and structure that you have right now. And then that really showed in the remainder of the match. And that's what I was speaking about earlier. The lack, like it it seems like from the top down right now, this whole club is just unorganized. And they, and even with Steven Glass being an interim manager, that still contains the word manager in it. You have to take some responsibility and and manage the club. And he didn't do it in that situation. You know, and we're piling on, you know, and we've said this many times. We understand Stephen Glass is in an impossible situation, you know. And I'm not really putting any of this, these results on him. But you don't really see a situation like that. I think if you have a set penalty taker at least it's something that's been discussed before but that just seemed like everyone for themselves and that that is that is disrespectful to the manager to behave like that on the field with three different players and to have apparently no idea who was supposed to take the penalty I mean little stuff like that happens when you don't have the structure going in and certainly we've talked about the bigger issues with structure in terms of the shape in general but certainly it carried over to even the little stuff like who takes a penalty kick I did. I did tweet out at one point after, before VAR and after the PK, the first PK at Kubo, or that's Kubo ended up scoring. I just wondered how salty Barco felt after having that kind of little discussion before the penalty kick was even taken. Um, I, 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 I do remember hearing Stephen Glass talking about after the match that that it for him at least it was clear that Barco was the guy that was going to take that PK. Whether Kubo didn't know. Got it. <clears throat> Okay. Whether Kubo didn't know that that, that was the case is, is a different story. But uh, Stephen Glass was pretty adamant about that's, you know, Bark was taking that PK there. I don't know if maybe Kubo didn't know, but um, it's obvious that he probably will know from now on. So let's, um, let's break that down a little more then. Okay. Cause that's a good think about that. So if Kubo Torres knows, or he should well, know, he if, should if, know. If, he, if he doesn't know that's Glass's fault because everyone on the team should know who you're, I mean, that's, that's an easy thing to communicate. Uh, and if he did know, then to 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 go at it like that, I think is a, is a, is showing not much respect for the decision made by Glass to make Barco the pen taker. So I mean, I, 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 I I'm I'm willing, I'm willing to bet that it hasn't really come up because I I can't I mean. I don't know. You, you, you coach kids. I can't imagine that situation of, well, of kids. Who's, yeah, but sure. I know different, different, but I'm just saying in the, in the realm of coaching that that situation doesn't really pop up in practice. Where sure. You, but you're talking about I, who's, who's taking the pen in the situation. You don't really talk about that. In but practice. I would say every single professional team has sure. probably going into every match, 
this guy at the least has right of first refusal for a pen. And you're right. There are some things that work organically, right? Like with Joseph Martinez, you wouldn't even have to make that decision because everybody knows, but obviously with this, can you team, imagine somebody trying to tell Joseph, oh, no, God. I'm going to take this. Yeah. I, I would love to see Kubo Torres try to take that ball out of Joseph's hands or Barco. But uh, no, I mean, I, I think that's something that needs to be determined going to a match, especially when you're a normal pen taker and Joseph is not there. So um, I'm glad you supplemented that with that, Eric, that Glass says Barco is the pen taker, but either that was not communicated or that communication was not really taken to heart by uh, Kubo Torres and uh, Jurgen Dom, who was in there uh, uh, politicking to get uh, the pen himself. So just, and then the fact that he misses two in a row makes the situation even, uh, even worse for everybody. Yeah, what a great look for Barco there um, in both instances. Looking ahead to Nashville, uh, who we play on Saturday, 8 o'clock. I, I, I mean, at this point, what do you guys expect from Atlanta United? I, I know personally, I, I, I just want to see I more attacking. I have atta- no idea. I just want to see more attacking play. That's it. I, I don't even care about the result at this point. I, I, I feel like most fans have just taken the season and, and, and understood that it's going to be a wash that yeah, I'm impressed, the season actually. is already I'm over with the, uh, the, I mean, the I mean, rare perspective from Atlanta. Yeah. United. It's like everyone understands that that's like, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is kind of a lost year, it, you know, with the pandemic, with, with, you know, that's what it is. It's the pandemic. The, everyone's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Everything. Nothing, nothing's going right. <laughs> with the, with the pandemic, with Joseph being out with, with, you know, you, you've, you've sold pity, you've sold, or you've, uh, you fired the manager, you know, everything is just kind of like, yeah, whatever. This year is what it is. If we can even make the playoffs, it'd be a, it'd be a gift just to keep that streak going. Um, it would be nice. But that's about as much as I think Atlanta United fans are going to be asking for this year because it just – it doesn't really seem to be falling into place. But I, I just – the only thing I wish to see out of, out of Atlanta United against Nashville is just more attacking. I, I would love to see – Yeah. I would love to see some of the, the – I would love to see Gallagher – continue to be on that left side. I'd love to see uh, Jurgen Dam to, can, to start again. Um, you know, I, I, I would like to see consistency in the midfield, but again, I, after, after the game against Miami, I can't really ask uh, Hyman to be put in the same position, nor would I want Hyman to be put in the same position he was in against Miami uh, against Nashville. So, you know, you're not going to, I wouldn't expect that you get consistency out of the midfield in the next match, but I also, you know, I also have no idea what kind of what kind of strings but Stephen I think, Glass you know, is going to pull. Putting putting Gallagher on the wing, I think, is the issue here, and I disagree with that because that's what's changing your midfield. Because then you have to play Barco through the middle, and and look, I, to to be fair, I mean, as as we've talked about a lot, Barco had a huge influence on the match playing there, and was a big reason you were able to transition from middle to attacking third in ways that you weren't previously. It's just the players behind him at center midfield that maybe didn't provide cover. But if you play John Gallagher on the left, that means that Barco is going to play centrally. and You better get that center midfield a little bit uh, more right than you did. What I want to see is, right, so I want to see, I guess, and you're right, Eric, you know, I hadn't thought about this. You did have a better transition into the final third where there were at least some positions where you were like, oh, okay, this could be dangerous, and then it just didn't work out. Now I want to see those transferring into uh chances and attack that would be yeah that would be that would be that would be the next step we we got there now now we got to take the next step forward and 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 actually put shots on goal (laughs) we need to have a match where it's like it didn't feel like we were more dangerous i can actually point to this chance this chance this chance 
and not say we scored a goal from Eric Rometty's butt and uh, missed a couple of pens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I don't, I don't know how that happens just with the personnel you have. I think the, the, the situation with Barco running around getting hacked and not having a lot of help uh, doesn't, that certainly doesn't do us any favors in attack. Maybe Jurgen Dom can be a little more influential, but a lot of it has you know, if you can't create in the last third, a lot of that has to do with personnel. Cause it's not like there's set plays or tactics in the last third. It's just a manager uh, or a matter of trying to win your individual battles and find space. And you don't have anyone that can do that consistently other than Barco right now, but hopefully you can find a way to manufacture some more chances. And clearly that's going to be the key for this team because it, I think it became so clear to me against Miami that you saw team put their heads down and say, we're not creating anything and we're getting countered on the other side. And you start to see midfield recovered slowly uh, on those counters. You start to see the, the, those individual errors that we haven't been seeing previously from the center backs. So if Atlanta don't start creating these chances soon, I think it's going to start to get ugly on the other end as well as players just kind of give up. I mean, not give up, but just realize we're exposed all the time when we throw bodies forward and, and don't create anything. So I think you're at almost – if you decide to stay attacking, I think you're almost at a crossroads in terms of how the players see your system and the attitude that they're going to approach matches with. Because certainly the last 60 or so minutes against Miami, I saw a, a side of Atlanta United that I didn't want to see, not even from a tactical standpoint, but from an effort, confidence, swagger standpoint uh, that I think really, really impacted you. And like I said, if you play better teams with better attacks in Orlando and Miami, they're going to make you pay when they get out in space against your back line. Uh, well, Lenny United right now sitting in eighth place in the Eastern Conference. Um, so everyone makes the playoffs. So it's yeah, cool. I'm not really worried about the that aspect team. of it. Wouldn't it be great if we missed? If we missed? I, I, look, look, I don't know that I'd really be mad. I'd just be like, oh, that's just how the season's gone. How Nash- fortunate are we for our pod, by the way, that we got to play Orlando, who are the, probably yeah. the best of the group, Miami, Nashville, three teams who just happen to be really struggling putting goals away. Thank goodness, because of all the things we've just talked about. If you're in a stronger regional pod, you could have lost every single match if you're at. Oh, we're playing United like Portland and Seattle and like, yeah. like an LA team. We're getting yeah. boat raced every yeah, single. Na- yeah, Na- Nashville right now five goals for uh, Inter Miami, eight goals for Orlando City, seventeen. So it could so have yeah, been so way they've scored worse. a few more, but yeah, but but when we've seen Orlando, obviously huge uh, right. problems with end product as well. So unbelievably, I mean, if you want to look at the bright side. You are very lucky that you're playing just these teams around you right now and have been able to grind out a couple of results because if you're playing stronger sides. I don't see how you're doing that with the, with the amount of chances you've been unable to create an attack. Yeah. We obviously don't know what the schedule is looking like going forward, but you got to think that you're going to get a new mix of teams in. Um, and I got to assume that some of the stronger side, you're going to end up playing, you know, I assume that you're going to end up playing some of these other teams that are doing a little bit better than, than say the Nashville or the inner Miami. Um, but really the Eastern conference as a whole is kind of struggling. You've got a couple of teams that kind of set themselves apart, but outside of that, it's, it's kind of a crap shoot across the board. Um, all right. So we got Nashville uh, on Saturday, uh, eight o'clock. Any final thoughts before we take off? Anything I didn't talk I think- about that I should have talked about. Maybe not that, but I just think that, like, if you're a fan of this team right now, then, you know, you, you really need to 
sort of pay attention to the the players that you know I think are going to be here. Like, obviously, like, Barco is a guy who might not be here much longer. We don't know. Uh, the team is very uh, cloudy in terms of what they say about him, as we've seen over the past few months. But I do think going forward, like, some of these guys are going to be, you know, cornerstone pieces, you would think. Um I don't necessarily know about like the guys they brought up top because ultimately when Joseph Martinez comes back, that's his job. But I'm more talking about the, the Lennons, uh, you know, the Heinemann's a guy they signed to a long-term deal. So yeah, even when these guys struggle, you know, you still want to make sure that these guys are, are bouncing back and playing well because some of these guys are going to be here for a while, despite the fact that Atlanta United seems like a revolving door right now. So just remember that. I think that, that the fact that, you know, it is a weird league in a sense that, that it is probably, even though soccer is a revolving door sport in terms of players coming in and out of teams, MLS seems to be even more crazy in that regard. So um, it's just one of those things where you just have to worry about the guys, I think, more so that you know are going to be there and, and, and going forward what those guys are going to do to impact the team. It's yeah, and I would also say it as my last thing is that I think if you look at those pieces, they're not that bad, right? I mean, because where you're struggling the most is an attack. And as Sam just mentioned, you're missing the guy that scores all of your goals, right? I haven't seen a huge drop-off. I actually think defensively you've been very good. So if you look at – and this is something I mentioned last – it's very important. We realize that you have some huge holes in attack, maybe in center mid, but you have a very good back four. Lennon's been good. Bellow's been good. Robinson's been good. Uh, uh, Escobar's been pretty good. Mesa's been good. Uh, you know, uh, Walks has been good. So you've got a bunch of good defenders. Joseto's a good signing. Uh, and you have Joseph Martinez back next year. And we know we know Heinemann is a serviceable player, maybe too much pressure. put. So you still have pieces in place where if you can go out, replace PT Martinez, maybe replace Barco with, with equal or better players in attack, Joseph comes back, you have a chance to be very, very good in 2021. So for all the negativity right now, I think the long-term outlook is not quite as bleak as some are making it out to be. Yes, you'll have to make some good moves in the future, but it's not like you have to overhaul this roster completely to be competitive again. You just need Joseph Martinez back in the 11, spend that PT money somewhere and potentially Barco as well. And then I think you can be right back in contention next season. And this is something that I think I'm going to, you know, just kind of drop the seat here because it's something I want to talk about on podcasts going forward in terms of, you know, what this DP that they're going to bring in is going to be. Just based on, like, an identity perspective, I don't know why, but I'm starting to think more and more that they might need to bring in, like, a name. And I'm not talking about one of these, like, young South American players that, that you know, we obviously didn't know a whole lot about with, like, your Almirons and your Titos and guys like that when they brought them in. I just think that, like, from a from a perspective of, like, trying to keep things, you know, tight and organized and, and also have your fans, you know, buy in and everything, I, just, I think they're going to need to bring in maybe someone that's more of a name and not necessarily that same sort of just go to South America and bring in, like, a really young 22-year-old who's going to be really good. I think you need to establish some sort of identity, some sort of culture. And I think by doing that, you bring in, you know – and I don't even really know what I mean by a name, but just someone that has that recognition, I think someone that gives you that sort of clout. I'm not saying bring in like a retirement guy, but I think going forward, Atlanta United fans, you know, need to think about who that is going to be when they do talk about 
you know, bringing in DPs or ADP. I think maybe just for a stability standpoint, it might be better if you go out there and bring someone who, who has that clout and who guys will respect coming in. I will say that I, I, if, it, if it's not someone with clout, I'm going to reserve judgment on whoever they sign. No matter, how good the, no matter how good their highlight video looks, no matter how, how bad it might look, no matter the, the reputation this, this, this player might have or these players might have, um, it, it seems that Paul McDonough, for whatever reason, was the key. In 2017, 2018, when he left for Inter Miami, it seems as that that the player selection or the player recruitment, I guess, was just kind of went downhill a little bit, um, and not downhill. I, I would say that the the type of player they went after it just changed a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if that was a fortune of good luck, or, or as for the club as a whole, or 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 you know they just hit on a a so many good players early on that this is kind of the universe balancing things out a little bit uh but you've seen since he's left the type of player that they brought in just hasn't been the the, the quality that of say a Gressel or Emil Assad or um I'm trying to think who else it, the the players that we kind of grew to love in 2007 2018 now a lot of that was like a, like a Garza even there you go like the players that that, that we kind of grew to love because of of mostly because of the success uh we had as a team and as a club but um, but still, you saw it's evident now that the, that the player, the players that are being brought in are, are of a different quality than than what was brought in before he left. So I don't know how I got to think that's got to that that that's the biggest change we've seen, um, and I got to think that's that's a that's a major reason that that I, I'm curious to hear the tell all type of interview uh, from from the Atlanta front office on onto what the player acquisition strategy i guess was before and after he left um and see if how big of a change that was for the club and 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 for the you know post tata martino era if you will um anything else any final things all right tell them where they can find you boys at sam j franco on twitter and uh that's really it other than uh you know we just we, we just want to be good again as we just want to have fun watching this. Just want to be good. Uh, at Josh B914 is where you can find me on the Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Eric G. Quintana. Find the podcast at, at MLTS Podcast. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And just talk to you amongst yourselves real quick while I pull up this Lucid FC read. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh, he, he never has it pulled up. He never has it pulled up ever. Oh, hold on one second. Oh, better get, get this. I don't think he cut. would know what the FC oh. stands for if he didn't have that piece of paper in front of him. His read was flawless that last week, though. So let's see. You're right. No, he wouldn't. Hold yeah, on. You're right. He wouldn't know what it stood for if he didn't have a piece. I absolutely knew what it would. Damn it. Well, I I want to know what it stands for, but I, you know. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Right. Hold this on. Is great. This is fantastic preparation here. Mm-hmm. Lucid FC. Oh, damn it. Why don't I what? save this thing? All right, here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> Let's take a second to thank our sponsor, Lucid right. FC, distinctively three, modern two, clothing line based right here in Atlanta. It reflects a deeply British American heritage design approach to clothing, uh, promotes freedom of fashion, gender, and role. Brand's iconic logo, immediately recognizable anywhere you go. Check them out on all the social media platforms. Uh, Lucid FC, uh, they make pants, outerwear, hats, shirts, hoodies. They've got uh, the great masks that are going on sale right now. Um, use the code MODSS for a little mm-hmm. discount. Uh, ask me what the FC stands for in Lucid FC. Oh, what does the FC stand for? What does the FC stand for? And clothing. 
and is a perfect match for all fans of the football clubs. Check them out, lucidfc.us. Uh, check out why the celebrities like them. Again, lucidfc.us. All right, we'll have a podcast uh, early next week after um, hopefully Atlanta United gets a win over Nashville. Please, please just get a win over Nashville. <laughs> that is for us. Until next time, see you later, Atlanta.